A reading from 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Saul did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. A reading from Ephesians. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And when he'd said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to the blind man, where is Jesus? He said, I don't know. They brought him to the, to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, for the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but God does listen to the one who worships God and obeys God's will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you were trying to teach us, and they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him say this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord.
Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a lamb of your own fold, a sheep of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. You might be thinking that because it's Lent, the church decided to punish you with that long reading. <laughs> Actually, we cut it short. Um, you might know this story, and, and I want to say up front, I am certain it means many things. Um, but if you find yourself rolling away, don't miss the most important thing. The most important thing is that people are not born blind because they sinned or their parents did, and that extends to all areas of life. People do not acquire AIDS because they sinned or their parents sinned. People do not have autism because they sinned or their parents sinned. That becomes really important. So if that's your minimum takeaway, we did good work today. Uh, but it's important, I think, to unpack a little bit of that business. See, at the time of Jesus, being blind meant more than just not being able to see. It was understood at the time of Jesus that if you were blind, there was something fundamentally wrong with you. Not just your vision, but with you. People who were blind were not allowed to enter the Jerusalem temple. Animals that were blind were not allowed to be sacrificed. And people had decided at the time of Jesus that, you know, regular kind of corruption happens to us throughout the day. And, and so I've told you this before, maybe you've heard of it. People constructed these things called mikvahs that are ritual baths. And they would fill them with rainwater or with, or with rivers, which they said this is living water because the water moves on its own, right? So they'd fill it up. And throughout the day, they would wash themselves in this bath. They didn't use soap. They understood that the living water could wash off any kind of yucky stuff they touch, and they weren't thinking germs. They were thinking things like, I touched a dead body, that's yucky, I need to wash off the spiritual grossness, not the, the microbes. Into the ritual bath they went. They could do that several times a day, back into the ritual bath. You start to understand that water, which was not antiseptic to begin with, becomes less and less clean. What else would they do? Maybe they ate food that wasn't cooked in a kosher oven. Into the ritual bath they went. Maybe, maybe uh, they touched somebody else who was unclean. Into the ritual bath they went with the understanding that that would wash off the uncleanliness and make them sort of right before God. You can read passages in the Dead Sea Scrolls, though, that tell you people who have blindness, see, that's not fixable in a ritual bath. It's not like they go in and come out and can see. So around the time of Jesus, people started coming up with theories as to how it is that these people were blind. And of course, what they decided is a myth that, frankly, many of us buy. They deserve it. They decided that either the infant sinned in the womb which is why the boy was born blind, or the parents had done something terrible, which was why he was born blind. No ritual bath takes away blindness, not blindness that you've been given at birth, right? And the whole story hinges on that. And what's important, of course, is that we see Jesus not just giving sight to somebody who doesn't have it, what we see is somebody who's not allowed into the temple being given access to the temple. We see somebody who is unacceptable to an entire community and nation and religious setup being given access for the first time in his life. 
we see, in some ways, Jesus questioning in the story who's actually blind. The man or the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, some of us weren't around in the 80s, but I just gotta say, this is really the way AIDS worked in the 80s in my memory. We were terrified of it. We were taught in 1984 to not, <laughs> to be really careful which drinking fountains we used. And whether we used public restrooms. And even we were told if you had to use one to put toilet paper on the seat because that would protect you. And, and, and I want to say we weren't just worried about the virus. We thought there was something wrong with the people that had it. If you weren't around in the 80s, please trust me, take a leap of faith here. It's as close to uncleanliness as I think we can get. The people with AIDS in the 80s deserved it. They were dirty, they were gross. Don't touch those people and don't touch the things that they touch. And it was only half about the germs. This story is about that. And it's about that person who was not allowed to use a public restroom or a drinking fountain. Not being allowed to come into a church without snickering or gossip or whispering or just outright ushers saying, your kind's not welcome here. This story is about that person getting to come in. That's takeaway one, I think. Takeaway number one. Of course, the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean, it's a really long story, I think, to remind us how difficult it is for people to even accept that God could overturn our categories as to who's in and who's out, germs or not. They're very confused. Maybe it's not really him, it just looked like him. Maybe Daryl was blind and his other brother Daryl wasn't, and we're looking at the other brother. Or, uh, maybe he wasn't really blind. Maybe he's been faking it the whole time and we've been giving money to this beggar and he's been bilking us out of money. Or maybe Jesus did it through black magic and witchcraft. I know when we read the story, we think, what is wrong with those people? But you know, godly play, which is what we do with our children sometimes during the service, it always asks us to consider, who are you in the story? Are you Jesus? Are you blind? Are you a Pharisee or a scribe or a Sadducee? If the answer is sometimes, keep listening. What Jesus does is really interesting here, you know, and it starts out with being something sort of neat. The Gospel of John, in neat fashion, wants to tell you that Jesus is God, and so here's how John does it. Jesus looks down at the ground, and he picks up some dirt, and he spits on it, and he makes mud. And do you remember, if you've read Genesis 1, how God makes human beings? God reaches down in the mud and makes a sculpture and breathes life into them, right? So John is telling you, in neat fashion, Jesus is God because like God, Jesus can recreate the world. And not all of it. See, in Genesis, God says the world's good. No, Jesus is fixing the parts that aren't. He's fixing people who can't see 
and he's fixing excuses people have to not welcome each other at the same time. And he's God because he does that, and he does it with dirt. But I want you to think if you're the blind guy, you're that person that people have reviled and loathed all your life. This is not the first time someone has put mud in your face. It might be the first time someone's ever touched your face with it. But people have slung mud at you for years. Is mud still being slung today, do you think? How curious then that Jesus sends a man who's born blind having smeared mud in his face that was made of his spit. Think about this, really. This is, this is every bad experience that's ever happened to the man. It's just happened. And Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I'll let you know, having been there last week, you've got to go down 320 steps to get there. That's a lot of steps when you can see. There's no handrail. He's sent down there. The pool of Siloam is about as big as this room. It's ginormous. And the Gihon Spring, which is outside of Jerusalem, flows a, a whole kilometer underground through kind of a snake pattern and empties into the pool of Siloam. And it's the water reservoir for Jerusalem. It is huge. And what we know is that periodically there'd be a gurgle in the spring and a little bit of a rush of water. And in the pool of Siloam, there'd be a ripple and a wave. And that was the time to get in because they thought that would wash off even moral transgressions. Of course, when you're blind, how do you know when that's happened? And Jesus doesn't say, wait, he just says, goes and washes it off. And maybe the miracle is that the man does it, you know? It's as miraculous that he listens to Jesus as Jesus does anything. Let's just be honest about it, right? And there he goes. And of course, right, the story is, is really about how it is we see. And of course, I think the story is also not just trying to tell us something neat about Jesus. The story is inviting us to be like him. The story is inviting us to be involved in recreating our vision. It's inviting us to recreate the vision of other people who have decided who's in and who's out in God's world. And of course, the story tells us not to be afraid to get dirty when we touch dirty people. Now, all that sounds really neat. The problem is, let's not pretend like we've gotten over AIDS. We know how to deal with it, you know, but we've got other things that we deal with, and I'll just go ahead and out myself. I know God loves us all, but I've been to Appalachia, and when I look in somebody's yard and I see a broken tube television that's been there for 27 years and five children running around in diapers and 17 dogs that are eating better than the children, I don't usually realize how prejudiced I am. Usually what I think is, these people are blind. And they want to be blind. And then I think, who sinned, these people or their parents? In fact, I saw that vision last week when I looked down at Bethlehem. You know, there's a 30-foot concrete wall keeping people in. 
And when you go over that wall, what you see are piles of plastic bottles and old newspapers and trash. What's wrong with those people? Don't you see, the gospel is asking us whether we're Pharisees. The gospel is asking us to reconsider this question that we so often give. In the Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in, nothing against them, great people, but sure, when I heard about people being gay, I was asked a question, was it them sinning or their parents? When women wanted to be clergy, I was asked to consider, was it them that were sinning or their parents? Was it genetic, their problems? Or did their parents just teach them to be low-life individuals? And here is Jesus, you see, saying no to all of that. No. Projecting sin as a condition on someone who does something I don't like is blindness and sinful. And Jesus is telling us that the role of God is to give new vision to people so that we stop it. And that's, by the way, why we're wearing pink today. (laughs) It's not pink, you know, because in the Episcopal Church we have to have a fancy name for everything. It's Rose. Um, And we have roses there. It's the fourth Sunday of Lent, and it's to remind us that all of this business is about joy and larger life. I think it's here to remind us that those habits, those things you decided to give up or take on for 40 days, aren't magic. They put you in a position for God to recreate the way you look at the world, for God to give you new sight and new vision. And you know what? It may not even work this year, which is why we're going to do it again next year. You know, I mean, and I'll tell you, even if it works some this year, let's not pretend like we get total revelation like that, right? We will need to see somebody else in a different life-giving way next year. And we can try our hardest and it still won't work, but the truth is that we don't try our hardest. We're not even in the position for it to work. I think that's what it's all about. And it reminds us, of course, who the joy is supposed to be for. There is nothing initially enjoyable about admitting that I have prejudices that are wrong. Because I have to do work. That's not fun for me. The reason it's joyful and not fun is because it gives life to the world. And it reminds us that when God looks down at people, thinking about the worst ones you can call to mind, God doesn't see purple. God sees rose. And that this reminder for us about Lent is to see in the people we think challenge who God is the rose that God sees them as. And then to treat them as God does.